it might be that you you know to run 100 miles you have to do two or 300 mile races before you even finish one you know because as you and i know it's not a, a cert head cert that you're going to achieve that first time around hey guys welcome back to a brand new episode of the christian ultra podcast and today's guest is uh my good friend david ross um in fact i'm recording this many months after the episode was recorded because um, I've had to split the podcast into two halves. I'm moving my podcast over from Libsyn, which was my um, previous podcast pod, podcast host, over to uh, my website Squarespace because uh, there's no need to pay for two um, sites to host them, just one. So uh, yeah, this is part one of a two-part episode with David Ross. Please enjoy. Dave, welcome to the Christian Ultra Podcast. And um, yeah, pleased you uh, agreed to come on as a guest onto the show. Thanks and, for the uh, invite, Christian. Ah, uh, uh, you're welcome. Uh, I think we've got a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, you, you've, I, got, I got some uh, amazing things I want to share with people and, and, and your story and stuff. But I, I think it's always nice to kind of go back to the start and, you know, um, give people an idea of where, where it all begun, what inspired you to start running and, you know, a little bit of your history and background and like where you're from and stuff. Okay. So I was brought, brought up in Zimbabwe, Harare, Zimbabwe. And I, my first um, running days were when I was about 12 years old and I used to go running in the sugarcane when we moved out to South Africa with my dad. He was the, the sort of catalyst of all the running that I ever first did. And we used to sort of wake up early in the morning on a sort of any day of the week. And he was really into his running, not really long distances, but he was a sort of thick bricks the dorm at school. So he was more the short distance sort of expert, but he was very good at what he did. He was captain of rugby, captain of cricket, really good at athletics. So I guess he was the one who sort of inspired me to sort of lace, lace up and go out for a run with him, which we did on a regular basis through the sugar cane, as the sun was coming up in the morning in, in Durban. That's and nice. I, the That's first nice. fond memories, you know, when you get these fond memories of things that really just stay with you for the rest of your life. Well, that was certainly, you know, my cathartic, you know, sort of experience of waking up in the morning and going out running with my dad and watching the sunrise as you were running through the sugarcane and watching the mist rise with the sugarcane in the morning. It was just a picture that will always stay in my mind, you know, and just loved every step, you know. Great. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, sounds like you had a real um, appreciation for nature at a, a young age. You know, sunrise, uh, sugarcane, and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, great. that's that's what really makes you know sort of ultra running really the special sort of thing that we do. You know, it's the the magic recipe for for making us feel happy. I think, and it's to me, it's always been a cathartic exorcism to go out running in beautiful scenery. You know, that's why these hundred mile races in America. And far-flung countries have always been, you know, probably the most special. It's not really big city marathons that cut the mustard for me, I must say. Though I understand why people love that too, and they like being part of a crowd, because it's the bonding experience. But I think what really makes it for me is just being out in the wild, you know. That's why I totally appreciate things that you do, you know, going out and doing these lovely trail races all over the place. You know, I can totally get where you're coming from, you know, just... It's yeah. a complete reaper, you know, it's just special. 
isn't it? Well, well, go, going back to um, you running around the age of 12 with your uh, father, do you have any brothers or sisters that used to go? Or was it just you two guys? I've got a sister, Natalie, and she was always good at 100 meters and 400 meters. Okay. So she was a bit of a short distance merchant, speed merchant. Yeah. She's stocky and well built like me, but she's uh, she's never really been into the long distance stuff. But yeah, she was pretty good at school actually. Uh, yeah. And when you say any short distances, yeah. Yeah, and your father, you say short distance as well. Was that similar distance with him? Yeah, four hundred. Um, you know, sort of um, eight hundred distance okay. was his speciality. Yeah, and hundred meters as well. Yeah. That hurts. You need to run. Never really the long. You never really did marathons, though. Yeah. 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 No, eight hundred yeah. meters is a is a brutal distance. And yeah, it is. Four hundred meters yeah. is like a sprint. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you, the longer the distance on the track, the, the more you've got to dig in. You know. Yeah. No, for sure. Okay. So, so that's, five thousand, ten thousand really takes a special athlete. You know, to run like my Farah. Yeah. And keep yeah. you know pushing really hard. You know, for that long, going multi times around a four hundred meter track. You know, takes some doing. Mm. I've only ever I, done one track marathon and I thought I vowed I'd never do one again. They're yeah. doing 24 hour races running around a track. Not my thing, but good luck to people who love doing that. Yeah. yeah like uh, Mr. Bitter, for example, you know, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. running around in circles. Um, <sighs> so, so what, um, what did, sorry, just, uh, just say that again for probably my sake rather than the audience. Cause it, where, where was that in Africa? Did you say in South Africa? Um, I was brought up in Harare which is yeah. now obviously, well, it was Salisbury, but it's now Harare in and Zimbabwe. Is that, in, is that, oh, in Zimbabwe, not South mm, Africa? Completely okay. separate country, yeah, over oh, the border wow. from South Africa. Yeah. And then when uh, my parents got divorced when, when I was 13 years old, we actually left the country and we came and settled in, in South Africa and Joburg for a start and then went to Durban and my, my folks still live in, in Durban now. Okay, so... so, yeah. so you, I've been there since then. Because yeah. I know you live, because um, you and I met in um, Croydon, mm. in fact, in, in, in yeah, the Croydon in the Ultra. Croydon Ultra. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you beat me there. <laughs> On beat, one particular occasion. Yeah. Beat me that day. But um, no, uh, so I've met you in the UK. So at what age did you kind of make that move from Africa over to um, UK? When I was 18 and a half, I came over. Yeah, and um, did a lot of traveling through Europe mm. with a uh, then sort of girlfriend. You know, we went around Europe together, you know, just um, went to Greece and Spain and Portugal, did a lot of traveling, basically, mm. and then just came back and settled here and uh, just did various jobs to make a living. Um, and didn't really take up running seriously, though, until, you know, sort of I was about 32 years of age. That was when I first did a marathon. Yeah. Wow. So, I went so back you, in Africa to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, so your first marathon was actually back in Africa. It wasn't even here. Yeah, it was the Ungani Water Marathon in 1999. Yeah. And I did a, I think the first time I ever did a marathon, it was four hours 36, which is obviously not a stunningly fast time. But I remember, you know, when you get to 18 miles and you start getting hitting the wall, you know, and you go, oh, God, now I've still got to finish this off, you know. <laughs> and you just think, how am I ever going to finish this? And then when you finished it, it's just the best thing you could ever do. Your first marathon, you never forget. They couldn't actually walk properly for about a week afterwards, you know. And you say, never again, of course. And then you just think, well, maybe maybe I could do one and maybe I could do better next time, you know. Yeah. And then you obviously think, well, it starts becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? You know. So your first marathon was in 99. I actually didn't know that. We're friends um, 
personal friends and i didn't actually know that my first marathon was the year 2000 so oh, right. within, within one year of each other and in fact my first Good. marathon time was yeah. about um 446 so pretty similar okay. year and similar time uh, which one did you do then christian i did the uh wolverhampton marathon back oh, in okay. the yeah. year 2000 okay. yeah okay so uh wow i didn't know that about you and but as uh, you know i mean you know the first one's always the hardest one isn't it you know yeah. i think you're right like you, said, you, never, you never forget that one it's the never forget me, that it one was, no. it was the beginning of um my journey of self-belief and accomplishment um mm. and it, it's a special journey and that first marathon for me kicked off that particular journey which i'm mm. still on now <laughs> right isn't it Running ridiculously ultra distances, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, the mental it, strength we've developed over the years is uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you didn't stop there. So that was your first marathon. And I've got some, I'm just going to read out some stats just so, yeah. you know, people can get an idea of how experienced a marathon, an ultra marathon runner you are. Uh, you've got actually... Um, 460 marathon and ultra marathon finishes is that right yeah yeah that's right yeah, yeah 460 and that's in that 21 year time frame um mm. and you're part of the world mega marathon ranking and and you to enter into that ranking you have to have 300 plus marathons to even enter that mm. that's right yeah that's all the, all the marathons are vetted in japan um, but basically, people from all over the world actually um, enter the statistics. And in the UK here, we are quite instrumental about vetting just about every race that you put down on your on your sheet. You know, when you become a member of the, the 100 Marathon Club, for example, you basically get that vetted by the chairman of the 100 Club. And they can ask, basically pick out races that you've done right throughout the years and double check the stats. And you've usually got to have hyperlinks to all the results and everything. To make sure that obviously all the races that you've done are completely legitimate. Other countries, I would have to say, without mentioning any country names per se, don't have the same vetting procedure that we do. So there are obviously people that have done huge amounts of marathon. You know, like for example, Christian Hotas, who's actually number one in the world with over 2,000 marathons. But I think they have a totally different. Um, he's from Germany, by the way. But they have a totally different vetting procedure to what we do in the UK. So, you know, we have to actually have done an official marathon, which I think is, is pretty fair, you know, to actually be on that list. Yeah. There's people well ahead of me, you know, for example, Steve Edwards, who's a really good friend. He's yeah. done 910 marathons. Brian Mills, who's the top ranking Brit. He's done 1,023 from memory, something like that. Roger Biggs, you know, he was ex-chairman of the 100 Club, you know, with about 850-odd. You know, so you've got guys there that have been running for, I don't know, 30 years odd, you know, 30 plus 30 years, and they've done huge amounts of marathons all over the world, you know. Some the whole of America, you know. So it's quite an interesting club. Yeah. Sort of fanatic, of course. Yeah. And, um, and, and so is there a UK um, listing? Because this is the World Mega Marathon uh, ranking but is there a U united kingdom listing and where are you on that list if there is one i think there probably would be on the 100 club site actually uh, we've got about 600 about 650 members so i'm not quite sure where i'd be ranked on that but i 
think it's well it's pretty much part of the world mega marathon rankings though but i mean yeah i think they've got all these different stats now on the 100 marathon club site so there might be some sort of rankings on that now well i'm just going to break it down because i've got the list in front of me um mm. so out of those 460 marathons and ultras mm. um you, actually you told me an interesting uh fact when we were out uh hanging out the other week um that they call it the triple crown is it called the yeah. triple crown so that's um one so go ahead you talk about that yeah so basically the triple sort of or the triple crown is basically open to um 100 club members who've done you know 100 trail marathons 100 road marathons and 100 ultras and the 100 marathon club there's only four of us so i'm one of those four that have done you know three lots of those different you know distances based on those disciplines yeah because i would say by and large with the 100 club there's not huge amounts of people that like running ultras um the lion's share of the 100 club is just as i say sort of a marathon you know marathon distance whether it be trail or road but rather than the sort of ultras you know going and doing 100 milers or you know going and running and you know sort of bad water whatever the case is you know they, yeah. they don't tend to necessarily do that you know or a few people very few yeah yeah and just to um clarify with people what the 100 marathon club is uh do you want to uh, say what that is and about that yeah well i mean it was set up basically the, the basis of it was that uh, obviously you became an associate member when you had done 50 marathons and then once you um, you had done your 100th marathon you became a fully fledged member and then you were given you were given a medal and a t-shirt which you could wear with pride when you went into the race and a vest if you wanted one. And then you're part of the UK 100 Marathon Club. Obviously, other countries like Germany, Sweden, um, and so on have their own 100 Marathon Clubs. And uh, when you go to a race, it's actually quite enlightening when you see someone with a German flag on saying German 100 Marathon Club or, you know, Swedish 100 Marathon Club or whatever the case is. You know, it's quite nice, actually. Yeah. But you would never know that, of course, if you just pitched up at a race, you know, with your normal club vest on you know um and uh, and didn't didn't sort of proudly display it yeah yeah well it's it, it's something else it's and just to also verify with people listening that so you have run 460 official officially held um marathons and yeah. ultras that that's not just a training run that's an official race yeah that's right uh, so the the ultra marathons that i've done for example if let's say you do a hundred mile race and obviously it's nearly four times the distance of a marathon in one sitting yeah that only only counts as one obviously so that will just be one ultra you yeah. know rather than you know sort of because of the fact that you've done a hundred miles yeah. it's not four lots of marathons the only exception to the rule is if there's a registered course for example Brathe, which is in the lake district um, is one where you run around Lake Brathay and there's actually an official marathon every day running around Lake Brathay. So as far as I was aware that the 100 Marathon Club didn't actually allow you to count each and every single um, distance out of the 10. They would only usually allow four of the 10, I think, as part of your 100 Marathon Club stats. I think there was some sort of meeting about that. So they're generally quite officious about what constitutes, you know, sort of... Um, 
a marathon distance. Well, yeah. I know a little bit about that because I myself joined the 100 Marathon Club yeah. back in, I think it was a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. It's really cool because my, my first marathon was also my 100th marathon. And, I and you did that at Wolverhampton, didn't you? Yeah, yeah I yeah. did it at Wolverhampton and I won on my 100th. And so that was your PB course as well, wasn't it, Christian? Yeah, it was also a personal best. So two, two pretty, hours, 49 minutes, as far as I can recollect. Pr yeah. Pretty stoked, man. Um, yeah. What yeah. I was going to say was in between that journey of running one to 100 marathons, one mm. of the um, events I entered was Marathon de Saabs, you know, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that yeah. counts as one event. I was like, what? Yeah. Oh, multi-distance <laughs> offerings over five days. Yeah, yeah, I know. But to be fair, you know, you play by the rules and um, it's pretty um, rewarding once you get into that quite uh, club. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, well, that's that's pretty epic what, you know, what you've achieved over the years. And where would you like that? You know, what is the, for me, it was, okay, run 100 marathons and then I'm in mm. the club then focus on something different uh what like fkts and, and so on and so forth yeah, yeah fkts mountain ultras mm. and uh mm. stuff like that and and just not really focus on the numbers but i don't think number crunching yeah. yeah yeah you're not you're not finished yet what you're at 460 what is your personal goal with the numbers no so the personal goal has always ever been to run at least 500 marathons so I'd like to complete that. I'm on, you know, as I say, 460, and, and it's going to take a while to do the, the next four, 40 marathons because of the lockdown and so on. Mm. It has been difficult, obviously, this year to factor in any more marathons. Mm. I'm slowly getting to that point when, you know, things are opening up a bit more and so on. I'm hosting my own event, which takes place on the 19th of September at Buell Water. So things are getting back to some sort of progression, which is good news albeit with restrictions, but at least people are actually able now to get back out there and do some actual running rather than virtual running. Yeah. I haven't actually done any virtual races because I was due to do um, comrades for the 16th time this year um, on the 4th of June, sorry, 14th of June. And that didn't go ahead because of you know what, you know, so uh, they postponed that till next year, but they offered people the option of doing a virtual race on the day. And I couldn't even do that because I'd broken my foot um, sort of like 12 weeks before that. So it wasn't completely healed and I didn't really want to go out and just poodle around a sort of 10K circuit. So unfortunately, I didn't even run the virtual comrades in any particular distance. So uh, hopefully when it gets back to normal next year, and go back out there and hopefully bring you with me next time, Christian. Oh, yeah. I'm going to come. Uh, there's no question in that. Uh, let's yeah. talk about comrades. Comrades, uh, yeah. you want to... Um, uh, tell people listening what Comrades is and what it's about and where it's held? Yeah, sure. So Comrades was first established in 1921. And basically the idea was that it was a living, it was going to be a living memory um, for those that had fallen during the Great War. So instead of actually erecting a memorial or something to that effect, there would, there would be a living memory um, in, to, to um, commemorate those that had died during the Great War um, by Vic Clapham. And um, so he was the godfather, basically, and left a legacy of, of, you know, the Great War in terms of pushing people to actually achieve distances that they never thought was possible. And Comrades was born. And I think the first year, the 
inaugural year that they had about 35 runners, which is amazing. And now it's grown to the point that we've got 20,000. Next year is the 100th anniversary of Comrades. So they'll have potentially 30,000 runners. Hopefully that will take place next year. But I mean, it is just the most epic ultra marathon on the planet. I would have to say that because I'm the ambassador for the UK Comrades in Ireland. But no, truly, it is just such a special race. You have to run it to believe in why it's so special. And you've done things in, in your past, which obviously very special too, like, as you said before, Marathon to Saab and UTMB and um, that 100-mile race that you did in Greece and various other races all over the world. But Comrades, to me, is always ever going to be probably the most special ultra in, in my memory books. And it's it's really beaten me up in the past. You know, I've had really serious runs there where I've ended up in quite a bad medical condition, you know, due to lack of experience and so on. But it's always brought me back for more, you know, pain and suffering, you know. And right. when you learn from your mistakes, you get better. And, you know, you know, when I first did it, I did about 10 hours, 36 minutes. Well, just, and then just my, for people listening, what's the yeah. distance? And is it, um, what terrain is it? Yeah, so... It's um, 89 kilometers and the uh, down run, well, the down run now is slightly longer than what it formerly was because it finishes at the Moses Mediba Stadium and it used to finish at Kingsmead. So it's 90.8 kilometers now, but it formerly used to be 89.9 kilometers. So it's actually longer than it ever has been in the past. And the up run starts at um, the Durban City Hall and finishes at the Scottsville Race Track. And that's slightly shorter. It's about 89, uh, 87 kilometers. But obviously the downhill run is a bit longer and does punish your quads a lot more. Yeah. And, and that, and so, that uh, alternates each year. One year. And it alternates each year. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, the only, the only difference. That's yeah. like about 55 miles or so. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 56 yeah. miles. Yeah. 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 Okay. But the only difference is that because they were going to be doing the 100th anniversary next year, what they normally do to get the numbers um, for the centenary would be to do double down. So this year would have been a down run as well. And then next year is going to be a down, but it's very rare. It's only when they had the 85th anniversary of comrades and now the 100th anniversary that they do double down. But apparently it attracts a lot more people from all over the world. You know, we get sort of like, I think it's something in the region of 50 different countries represented and UK gets the highest number of, overseas runners apart from the rest of africa so it's really quite cool you know we usually get around about sort of 320 uk uh, ireland and scotland runners mm. which is really good so uh yeah it's really nice going out there and being part of a sort of multicultural society yeah i've heard that um they have uh Bry's, i think is a south african name for barbecue yeah that's right yep. on this on the side of the uh and there's it's not just like it's quite um there's a lot of people watching, right? Isn't I mean, you yep. can do a hundred miler in Europe or in America or in the UK. Like, there's no one watching. You may see a few mm. people at the start, some people at the mm. end. But this is a real um, national event, e e even with people lining the course from the start to the finish. I think having mm -hmm. barbecues and celebrating, mm. and there's music and stuff. So, could yeah. you, is that right? Is that what it's Kind of it is. I mean, it starts at 5.30 in the morning. So both ways start at obviously the same time, 5.30 in the morning from Maritzburg or from Durban, outside the city hall. They have a laser display 
on the buildings, which is beamed onto the buildings. So you watch runners, sort of a laser display of runners running up and down buildings, all done in lasers, bright lights, and then they have a, a music, a bit of a band in the background. And then you sing the various national anthems. You sing the Afrikaans national anthem, English national anthem, the Zulu national anthem, and Kosi Sikili Africa. And you you hear chariots of fire, you know, where this always sort of play chariots of fire at the start. And then they have the famous Max Trimborne cockcrow. Uh, what sort of the crowning glory of comrades is that all these little quirky bits to comrades actually make it such a special experience, you know. And Shoshalaza, you know, I mean, when you sing Shoshalaza, you know, it just brings tears to your eyes, you know, because you've got people from all over the world and you've got different African nations all there in the same place. And there's no prejudice in whatever way. It just brings everyone together, which is the way life should be. And everyone just gets rallies together and they listen to this um, music and they chant together. And they just one collective human mass of energy waiting to run this epic race, you know, down the road from Maritzburg to Durban or the other way around. And it just really makes you feel quite emotional and very special to just be there. You know, so people come back year after year. And the good thing about comrades is that there's a bit of a carrot, really, because once you do your first comrades, the next best thing is to do like uh, the opposite direction. So they say that you can't actually be considered a true comrades run until you've done an up and a down. So one of each. And then the next best thing after that is obviously to, to get to your 10th comrades, which is a bit of a hop, skip and a jump. And that means that you've got to do the next nine comrades to be running in your green number because you get a yellow number on your ninth comrades. And it's only when you've done your 10th that you get to run in your green number. So that's really special. And then you can go on from there if you really want. But, uh, you know, there's some sort of, um, you know, it's all part of the, this badge of honor, really, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you've, run, and you've run um, 15 comrades. And comp have, have you entered, I'm sorry, have you finished all the comrades that you've entered? Yeah, I've finished every single one. I've never had a DNF. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But I've had quite a lot of problems on the way. I ended up with near renal failure, actually, at one of the comrades that I did one of the first ones, um, it was an incredibly hot day and I was really a novice runner and I'd never run that distance before. So I didn't take on enough liquids and certainly didn't watch the salt intake and so on or, or um, any sort of uh, nutritional intake. And basically when I finished the comrades, I felt really lightheaded and crossed the line and then sort of had to sit down. And before I knew it, I just completely passed out. And then I sort of came to and there were stretcher bearers running and they put me on a stretcher and off they went to the medical tent, got the IV drip, pumped me full of saline dextrose and I was on an IV drip for about four hours. And obviously it's after about two litres, you know, you get to go and see if you can go for a wee again. And of course you start peeing blood and um, realise that you put yourself into quite a bad harm's way situation. And eventually after about four litres of IV, you sort of, start coming right again you know but it's a bit of a scary experience because your blood pressure drops right down low and you're completely out of it then you start shivering uncontrollably even though it's a cold day so your body is in a terrible state but you do learn actually the hard way you know so you don't do that the next time you run comrades but you know you do sort of have to go through these sort of um, experiences as a as an ultra runner as i'm sure you'll be aware to actually realize that you've got to make mistakes and uh, 
recover from them and live to fight another day, I suppose. It, it totally makes it interesting, you know, when something yeah. goes wrong because it's so easy to just talk about what went right. One of my favorite um, podcasts that I've listened to is with uh, Tim Tolfollison, who ran yeah. Grand Canaria and completely yeah. bombed because his quads blew out on him and he ended yeah. up walking all the downhills. And just to hear yeah. him talk about that, but he still finished. Um, yeah. Very interesting to hear what didn't go right, but obviously you learn from your mistakes as you say mm. and um well i mean it's quite painful when you start getting cramps because i remember one of the first comrades i got to drummond which is the half bay mark and drummond's an amazing sort of like village really they've got flags everywhere and banners everywhere and you know loads of gazebos and people dressed up in costume and crowds are going mad you know so when you get to drummond you almost feel like you've finished comrades but of course you're only halfway and it's more than a half, uh, you know, the halfway point is about 27 miles, just over 27 miles. And you've still got to do that again. And, you, and I remember on one occasion, this lady actually sort of threw a, a Coke bottle, a full Coke bottle over to her friend, rolled it across the road in front of me. And I jumped to get out of the way rather than treading on it. And both legs cramped simultaneously. And I thought, <laughs> oh, gee, it's going to be a long day at the office, you know. So it was an absolute lesson in pain management to finish that particular comrades, you know, with cramp from halfway onwards, you know, God. Uh, you didn't know anything about taking S-cap salt pills, you know, and watching your potassium, you know, intake and so on and so forth. You know, so, yeah, real baptism of fire, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I tell you what, uh, Dave, I hope one day um, you put your endurance into writing a book because you've got so much, you know, to share. I mean, we're going to do one podcast here and we're not even going to scratch on the surface, you know, what you've experienced in the world of running. And um, I mean, just, we could talk about comrades alone just for the rest of this because mm. you've run 15 of them. And um, I, I want to talk about um, also, so, so some of the, I mean, you've done such iconic races, you've run Western States 100, you know, you've run, um, you've won Badwater, you know, you've run Leadville. Um, you've done some kind of, of these dream races that people mm. only hear about and stuff. What was it like your, where was your first hundred miler? And um, yeah, say, talk about that. Yeah. So the first time I did a hundred mile, I was complete novice at that distance, obviously. And I think you think when you've done 50 miles that that qualifies you to run a hundred miles. Well, think again, really. It, unfortunately, it doesn't. You almost got to go out there and probably do about a 70 to 80 mile training run to know that mentally and physically you've got what it takes to manage your diet along the way and almost emulate the running conditions that you're going to be emulating when you go to the race because i think the other thing that makes it incredibly difficult for people doing their first baptism of fire at that sort of distance is the fact that they really don't factor in all the variables and then when i got out to western states in 2011 um i got through the ballot and so on and i was absolutely amazed in those days they had sort of country representation and i entered as a zimbabwean yeah dual passport anyway and got in as a Zimbabwean. So I managed to run the first Western States representing Zimbabwe. Um, I think I was the only one from Zimbabwe, obviously, that was crazy enough to even sign up. 
but it was great just to be there. And obviously you get to meet all the legends, you know, all these top 100 mile runners, because yeah, they basically line them up at the start and they have a, put them on a podium. So anyone who actually gets in the top 10 of Western states um, for the men and the women actually gets um, an entry, an automatic entry for the following year. So you come in the top 10 of Western states, you get in the next year and you don't have to get through a ballot, which is incredibly difficult to get in. So anyway, so I arrived there, I talked to a lot of people, got a lot of inside information about how to run this race, but I didn't realize that it, A, was the altitude that was going to particularly get you, because the highest point on Western States is Immigrant Pass at 8,600 feet, and that's the first climb that you do when you start at Squaw Valley, at the base of Squaw Valley, which is the home of the 1960 Winter Olympic Games. And you've got all these sort of like circular rings of the Winter Olympics there burning and everything, you know. It's just the most epic race. And then you climb up to where Immigrant is the day before and they give you a pep talk about the race and so on and so forth. And you hoist the American flag and you sing the American an national anthem. It's just really epic, you know. And then, of course, the race starts at five uh, o'clock in the, in the morning the next day and off you go. So anyway, I, I was doing pretty well, actually. And then I got to Rocky, I got to sort of Forest Hill, which is 62 miles into the course. And I was starting to struggle a bit. I was getting quite a lot of chest pain and I'd been drinking excessive amounts of water and taking S-caps profusely and other electrolytes. So basically, I was putting on weight instead of losing it. And back in the day, they were actually regularly weighing you to make sure you hadn't got a a net weight loss or a, a too high a weight gain because both conditions are extremely dangerous. Um, unfortunately, I was putting on weight, so that wasn't enough to stop you and uh, keep you at a checkpoint. But they did say, look, watch out, you know, you might um, not have to drink so much, you know. Um, but I started getting chest pain. And when I got to Rocky Chucky River Crossing, which when I was doing it meant that you had to be pontooned across the Rocky Chucky River, because it came down in flood um, and it was too fast flowing for people to wade across. But in other years, when it's actually very low water, they've got a rope that goes across, which you hold on to. And then you walk across these rocks, which are underneath the water through icy, icy water. And uh, when you've been running in the heat of the day and you suddenly plunged into an ice pool, you know, your muscles contract. And the last thing you feel like doing is jumping into an icy water with really tired legs, thinking that you're going to cramp. You know, and that can happen quite easy, as you know, because it just gets such a shock to the muscles. But anyway, I got to the other side of the Rocky Chucky River crossing and felt in a terrible state. I'd been urinating profusely. My, uh, my blood pressure was all over the place. I was feeling lightheaded. I said to my pacer, I said, I'm really not feeling good. And I'd been doing this for the last um, sort of 16 miles, you know, from Forest Hill and really just putting one foot in front of the other and just using my mental resolve to get me to the next step. But it didn't feel good. So eventually I pulled out at Rocky Chucky and I was so disappointed because my then um, wife, uh, Melanie, she managed to finish it in 29 and a half hours. And basically when we got back on the plane coming back to London, it's like, she was wearing a Western States t-shirt. I said, you ever wear that t-shirt? I'm not talking to you again, you know, because obviously she managed to do it. And I was disappointed I hadn't, obviously. But um, and what fortunately, year was that? that was in 2011. Yeah. Uh, exactly. so I reapplied to get in in 2013, managed to get a place, went out on my own on this occasion. 
and then managed to bag it this time and got my silver buckle, 22.38. So from a DN, DNF to, to getting the silver buckle was like probably one of the highlights of my ultra running career, I suppose. Yeah, it was just really brilliant. Yeah. So was that um, your first attempt at a hundred mile? Um... That was the first attempt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And and so so was Western States your first hundred miler then? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I didn't even and know that. T- That's so cool. pretty tough one to do as your first hundred. Yeah. Yeah. But bitterly disappointing to go over to such a lovely part of the world and run on the old gold mining trail and go from Score Valley to potentially Auburn and you know have all these illusions of grandeur and then not finish it you know a very very bitter pill to swallow but then you can't really go into these these uh, 100 milers feeling too gung-ho because you know you really have to know what you're doing before you even turn up to do a 100 mile race you know and uh, do your homework really and then of course the other thing is what most people don't know is it's so hot you're running in a box canyon in in that school valley and then through these canyons devil's thumb and so on um and and it gets so hot you know so you might start off in the cold um and then it gets hot when you get to the canyons the temperature when i did the 2013 western states got to 110 degrees fahrenheit you know through the canyon sections and it was incredibly hot you know lots of people were ending up pulling out with dehydration and hypernatremia and other various maladies, you know, attributable to that distance running. And I think then you just um, begin to realize that you, if you haven't done your homework and done, haven't done some heat training, then you're really asking for trouble when you go out there. You know? Right. That's yeah. a great segue. Heat training. Let's talk about yeah. water. Yeah. <laughs> so we've spoke about comrades, you know, I mean, Dave, you're a legend, man. You really inspired me. When I first met you, um, like I said, we're running the um, the Croydon Ultra. I'd just come back from Ethiopia. I'd been there about six yeah. months, living out there with the uh, runners, um, getting notes for this book that I'm writing. And um, there was me and two other guys, and we were running. And I thought, okay, it's just the three of us up front of this. And, uh, you know, I was yeah. the conversation. And then you just came out of nowhere. And I thought, who's this guy, you know? And then you, we, it became four of us and we all started sharing stories. And then I just started, you were telling stories about how you'd run the triple crown and three, four 100s in a year, you know, with Centurion. And I think you'd got the record or you were going to get the record. But anyway, my point is, is that I was and am still hugely inspired by you. And, um, and I, I'm just glad that oh, we thanks, have a chance for people to share the story. So, comrades, 15 time finisher, Western States, you got your silver buckle, um, and you mentioned heat there. And I'm skipping quite ahead, but these are some really iconic mm. races. So, not only all that, but I think my mum has calls you as a nickname, Badwater Dave. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that, but it's good to know. <laughs> bad, oh, is that Dave? Which one? Badwater Dave or Dave? Um, oh, it's Badwater Dave, you know. So go on then. Um, so that's your Western States. Uh, talk about Badwater and what inspired you to want to run something like in that kind of heat and maybe also describe what the race is about. Well, Badwater, I've never really had any aspiration whatsoever, Christian, to run Badwater. In fact, I'd watched those Badwater 
you know, running on the sun, you know, videos in the past, you know, with Marshall Ulrich, and legends of Badwater and, and so on. And Scott Urich, who'd obviously won Badwater and people like that. And I, I just thought, you know, these are, this is crazy. You know, why would you ever want to go to Death Valley, Mohawk Desert, and actually run from the lowest point, which is 98 meters below sea level, and run to the highest point in North America, which is Mount Whitney Portals. And back in the day, they used to go to, right, right to the top of Mount Whitney. You don't now, you go to the car park, which is pretty much two thirds of the way up Mount Whitney, which is still incredibly high, 10,600 feet above sea level. In the hottest desert, you know, running in temperatures of about 115 to 125 degrees Fahrenheit. Why would you ever want to do that, you know? But then when I went out to do the Marrakesh Marathon, because I've got a really good friend, Rashid, who's actually partially lives in Morocco. And he'd always said to me, Dave, come out and do the Marrakesh Marathon, you'll love it. So of course I did. And um, I was staying at this really lovely hotel called the Hotel El Andalus, lying by the pool one day after doing the marathon. And a guy from Zimbabwe came and said to me, we were talking, just talking about all these ultras, and he, we were saying, have you done this one and have you done that? And I said, yes, I've done this and that, led for Western States, Wasatch, blah, blah. Have you ever done Badwater? No. Would you ever do it? No, definitely not. And then the funny thing is when someone actually almost says, why wouldn't you do it? You say, well, because I'm too afraid to do it. You start thinking, well, maybe it isn't such a bad idea after all, you know. So it actually made me think maybe it would be worth trying to get in, you know. Fortunately, in 2014, I had an absolutely astounding year when, when I won the, the Grand Slam Hundreds, which was hosted by James Elson. Managed to win that and break the course record for the aggregated 400-mile races by about 11 hours. So that was sort of a crowning glory. And I thought, well, now is obviously the opportunity to try and see if we can enter Badwater. Because when you enter Badwater, you're going to have to have quite a good CV of running 100 miles in the past all over the place to even get a chance to get in because they take a hundred runners from all over the world and they probably get something in the region of one and a half thousand people entering. So if you think it's, you know, what the chance of getting in very, very low percentage odds, you know, to get into bad water, it's all vetted by the board. The race director is Chris Cosman and they have a sit down and they discuss everyone's you know, P's and Q's and their sort of status. And then they invite you to run, Badwater. It's by invitation only. And then you get to pay your lovely Badwater race fee, which is about $1,400. Probably the most expensive race and probably the most memorable race, you know. And, uh, and then everything starts clicking into place. Once you get in, you go, okay, now I'm going to start worrying, you know. And your hairline starts receding and you start having sleepless nights, you know, waking up in Just cold sweats. the distance as well. Just Yeah, so it's 135 miles. Uh, 217 kilometers and you go through places you start near Furnace Creek which is near Death Valley which is pretty much Death Valley Basin just near Death Valley Basin <clears throat> and they have three starts one's at 8.30 um, in the evening one's at 9.30 and one's at 11 so they put the elite runners at the 11 o'clock start so fortunately, because of my times with the previous year at the 100 milers, I started with the elites at 11 o'clock at night, which meant you were actually running with people like Valmen Nunes, who was the previous course record holder, Pete Kostelnik, who actually then ended up winning the 2015 Badwater, the first time he actually won it. 
and all these people, you know, that had done it before Pam Reed and so on and so forth, legends of, of Badwater, you know. And um, yeah, so you, you, off you go, but you stay in a place called Furnace Creek. Now the hotel's got air conditioning units, obviously, but if you actually turn on the air conditioning, you're fooling yourself because you basically got to acclimatize from the get-go to get used to the seat that you're going to be having to deal with. So I said to my buddy, Greg, who was sharing the room with me, I said, let's, let's just have a pack, mate. Let's just not turn on the air conditioning. But we'll pretty much have to deplete the ice machine of all the ice and just drink cold water all night long. Because you're literally waking up in pools of sweat. You know, it's that hot. Pretty much 100 degrees Fahrenheit when we arrived in the evening from Las Vegas. Because we met all the rest of the crew in Las Vegas in the precursor to running the race. And then drove from Las Vegas in this Lady Cinder Wolf's um, little minivan, all stocked up with food and so on, and arrived at Death Valley Basin at about nine in the evening, and the temperature was just over 100 degrees Fahrenheit then. So you knew that you were in for a nice, toasty ride, you know, right from the get-go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was the start, anyway. So you've just heard Dave talk about the start of Bad Water. Um, that's episode one. Uh, guys, uh, go and find episode two. Uh, I think you might have to go to my website to find it. Or if it's in Apple, that's all good. Cool. Um, either way, have a great day and um, look forward to you guys tuning into the next episode.